1: NASCAR Grassroots Racing is full throttle every week on Flow Racing, where you can stream over 1,300 events live and on demand and access exclusive coverage. Subscribe to Flow today to see NASCAR legends past, present, and future go head-to-head with hometown heroes at tracks like Bowman Gray, Meridian, south boston and more find your next favorite driver by going to flowracing.com forward slash go mrn that's flowracing.com forward slash
2: go mrn the following is a production of the motor racing network the voice of nascar the motor racing network presents nascar live zane smith the left-hander, turn number five, looks to the
1: inside the driver's left. Now the right-hander of turn number six. It's Kligerman by a truck length into the S's.
3: Zane Smith's gonna have one final shot at Parker Kligerman. Here they come down the hill, into the right-hander in turn number eight. Zane Smith driving in deep, trying to get to the back bumper of Kligerman. He can't get there. Cligerman for the final time off of turn number nine, leads by two truck lengths. Zane Smith continues to give chase, but Parker Kligerman opens up by another truck length, working his way through the carousel. Headed down toward turn number 12. Kligerman with the lead. Zane Smith is still there right behind. Here comes Zane Smith. He tries to shove a fender up alongside of Kligerman. Klig- cuts him off, and Parker Klingerman has won the O'Reilly Auto Parts 150 at Mid-Ohio.
2: NASCAR Live is brought to you by Lou Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of NASCAR. It works fast, and you won't stink. And by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley.
4: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew. Here we are again with you after we leave Atlanta Motor Speedway and get ready to make a run up into New England. Joining us on the show today, Corey LaJoy will stop by. It looked like he had a shot to win the Quaker State 400 at the Atlanta Motor Speedway over the weekend, and it was a near miss. Corey will talk about that and more when he joins us. Also, speaking of going to New England this weekend, we've got a couple of New England experts on the team here. Dave Moody and Kyle Ricky are going to stop by and we'll discuss racing in that part of the country. Austin Hill had success over the weekend. He won the NASCAR Xfinity Series Houseco Uniforms 250 at the Atlanta Motor Speedway. Austin will join us and talk about that win. Plus, we'll be joined by 2023 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee Kirk Shelburne. He'll stop by and he'll reflect on his career achievements and will also preview the racing weekend and a whole lot more. But first, Kyle Ricky is here with the latest headlines in NASCAR Nation. Kyle, what do you have for us?
1: Denny Hamlin announces that Tyler Reddick will join 2311 Racing in 2024. This is an unprecedented move to sign a driver two years in advance, says team president Steve Luletta. But he and Denny Hamlin both did not want to miss the opportunity to bring Tyler to their team. Hamlin hopes this move propels his team to being championship favorites in 2024. It is to be determined if this will be a third car or if he will replace Kurt Busch in the number 45. There will be new colors on the number 19 Toyota as we head to the Magic Mile this weekend. For the first time in his career, Martin Truex Jr. will be sporting the Interstate Batteries sponsorship. The deal came about because Interstate Batteries wanted to do a cross-promotion with Truex Jr.'s main sponsor, Bass Pro Shops. The 2017 Cup champion will be in the bright neon green car that we are used to seeing his teammate Kyle Busch in. This is Interstate Batteries' 70th anniversary and the 31st season sponsoring Joe Gibbs Racing. In an interview after the SRX race in Nashville last weekend, IndyCar veteran Marco Andretti expressed interest in running a partial schedule in the NASCAR Xfinity Series in the near future. After having top fives in all three SRX races so far this season, Marco expressed the sentiment that if he could hang with these guys, maybe he could hang in Xfinity. As we divert our attention toward the Xfinity Series race in Loudoun, we have some new faces and experienced drivers joining the field for this Saturday's race. Julia Landauer, who last competed in the NASCAR Wheeling Euro Series, will be making her first start in the Xfinity Series driving the number 45 car for Alpha Prime Racing. Also in the field this weekend is 2017 Xfinity Series champion William Byron, as he'll be piloting the number 88 car for Junior Motorsports. Mike.
4: Coming up, I'll visit with Corey LaJoy after he came oh so close Sunday in Atlanta. And later, we'll look inside of racing inside of the Northeast.
2: This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. The NASCAR Cup
4: Series raced over the weekend at the Atlanta Motor Speedway. And, of course, the big story, Chase Elliott getting the win, but also another big story of Corey LaJoy almost getting his first cup win in the NASCAR Cup Series. And he joins us now on the Zoom hotline. Corey, welcome to NASCAR Live. How are we doing today?
6: Man, we were close, back, Man, weren't we?
4: So close, but yet. So far away, and it's got race fans talking, and I'm sure that you picked up some new fans. Walk us through the closing laps, and you're almost being quite close enough to get that first win.
6: Uh, Man, so our our strategy all week leading up to it, I mean, people say I've been calling my shots or this, that, and the other, but I knew Atlanta was was a shot for us. We had a really good car the first race, and we didn't engage the pack in enough time for us to give ourselves a shot to win. Uh, and I, that wasn't going to be the case. Uh, I knew that the majority of the top five from the first race were within the top six with more than 65 to go. So I wanted to be fairly aggressive towards the end of the stage two to get herself good track position. We took four to the break. And then the next caution there, we put fuel on it when we knew we could make our window. And, and from then on we did all we could do to keep that track position. And we had a great car. I learned a lot of how to, to read runs, understand runs, how to drag back, uh, cover some, cover the lanes, like all that stuff was new to me. And I was going to to an education by some of the best professors in the sport for the last 75 laps. And um, I couldn't ask to be in a better spot, control car with three to go, four to go. And um, I feel like I did most of the things right, but obviously I didn't do the big one right. And I was get the checkered flag. And, and if I found myself in that position again, it will, uh, it will be different.
4: You know, you talk about being in, in different spots. You owned that in your interview Sunday after the race that, you know, you've never led. You've never been that control car. You've never done a lot of this stuff. And I know that it was quite the learning experience. But what kind of exhilaration were you feeling in the car knowing that you were the guy coming to the three to go and you were the one that was setting the
6: tempo and setting the pace? I mean, it's not like I've never been in that position, but I haven't been in that position in a cup race. Um, not with – you know, I think we've stayed out of Martinsville a couple of times and tried to snooker some track position, but uh, never as like a potential to win the race. Um, lower divisions, right? Arca and KN when I had some success, like starting the front row was just something you did on every, a, a weekly basis and you knew the games you could play. But we're at the tip of the spear and to find myself. Like in the position that I've been working towards for my entire racing career culminated on one last restart, right? Like, uh, it was about seven to go. Honestly, when I'm leading it with six to go before, I don't know that that last caution was, but, um, I, I started getting a little bit emotional. Like it was starting to like overwhelm me a bit of like all the people that have helped me get here. All the people's whose opinion doesn't matter, but they eventually just continue to chip away at this like belief you have in yourself. of if you can do it, Right. And for half the race on Sunday and all the way down to the white flag of racing the 2020 cup series champion, like I was doing it right. And and it's something that I knew all along, but I started to lose a little bit of, of thinking that it wondering if I could do it. And it solidified a lot of what I believe in myself. It, I hopefully, I hope it solidified what my guys feel as though they're capable of doing as a race team. Um, And it's hard to do that consistently with with how lean we are on people and resources and help. Uh, But that's really truly why I signed up to do Aspire is because I I believe in the vision and I believe in in our good days. We could run like we did on Sunday. And uh, it was it was really nice to show that.
4: It seems like that you and the team have taken steps this year in the right direction. Would you agree with that assessment?
6: Yeah. I feel like our ceiling has been raised a bit with the next gen car being that we're racing apples to apples, but our floor hasn't changed. Our floor, if we don't execute and we have mechanical failures is still 31st points. Like we were like we are right now. I mean, we have shot ourselves in the foot six out of the last eight weeks uh, prior to Sunday. Uh, I think we finished 34th or worse in uh, six of the last eight or something because we have mechanical failures. So Had we even won Sunday, we'd still be 31st in points. So it would still be a six-week all-in mission to get in the top 30 in points to be able to get that playoff spot. So to your question of, like, we have made improvements, but we have also stepped on our uh, you-know-what multiple times, which hasn't allowed us to reach what our potential is as a race team. I think our potential is – realistically between a 17th and a 21st place team consistently um and i I feel like if we take out all the mechanical failures uh throughout the course of the year if we finish the race we're in the top 20 i mean that's just what it is i mean 19th 17th 14th like we can finish in that range with our eyes closed when we're run at the finish which would put us 24th to 26th in points which for us is pretty respectable um, and also gives yourself those more opportunities to send it at a speedway to make those gamble pit calls to get some track position late in the race because you don't really net worry about the ramifications in the back end like it's been it's been a tough season but it it definitely put some wind back in the sails of our team after that run
4: as well. It should. And you're going to take that to New Hampshire this weekend. What do you make about going back to New Hampshire and the magic mile this coming weekend,
6: man? I, I love Loudon. I've had a lot of success there. It's where I did, made my first career cup series start in 2014. i uh, ran really, really well in the cannon series there. I finished seconds Kyle Larson by like a foot. I won a cannon race there. Um, but, we have struggled at that, at that flat short track Martinsville, Richmond gateway. And hopefully Loudon's not in that. It's in that same vein of, of racetrack style we, that we've struggled at. So, uh, Sparks and Roy, who build my car setups, they're going to go through those three setups that we've ran before that we knew those don't like they don't work and there won't be a bolt in the same spot as it's been in those three races. Now, That's also part of what we're up against is a, is a small team. We don't get to go to the simulator and try out 30 different setups and see which one's better. We don't get to have the latest and greatest arrow notes or tire data, right? Like we are really and truly guessing off of trial and error of what we think is the best setup. Uh, And when you're racing against the best of the best with all the tools, it's a, it's a tough road to hoe.
4: But I imagine that when it works out like it did Sunday, that you take pride in that while you may not have brought home the checkered flag, they knew you were there and the fans knew that you were there. And I'm sure that that adds a little more wind into those sales too.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think just for as much as it showed everybody else that like, I'm not just a podcast host that drives race cars on the weekends. Like I want people to think that I'm a race car driver, you know, cause I had made it here and I have sustained a career this long because I know what I'm doing when it comes to driving a race car in circles Um, so I'm glad that a lot of the fans have to see that this weekend.
4: Well, we appreciate you making time for us. You put a lot of smiles on a lot of faces and, and for a moment, you were part of that David versus Goliath story that we hope reemerges again. And we hope you're in the middle of it. Appreciate you joining us, Corey. All the best in New Hampshire this weekend.
6: Thanks, Pac-Man.
4: That's Corey LaJoy of Spire Motorsports coming ever so close Sunday at the Atlanta Motor Speedway.
2: This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live.
4: NASCAR is heading to New England this weekend for racing action at the New Hampshire Motor Speedway. New Hampshire isn't the only northeastern track that has a foothold on the racing world. There's plenty of tracks throughout the region that had their own distinct impact on racing in 2022. And two people who would know about that that are from those neck of the woods. Kyle Rickey of Killingly, Connecticut, Dave Mooney of Barry Vermont join us on NASCAR Live. Gentlemen, welcome back. How are we doing today?
8: Hey, Mike. Doing great. How are you?
4: Doing fantastic, my friend. Kyle, welcome aboard as well.
8: Thank you for having me.
4: Well, Dave, we'll start with you. Barry Vermont, that's a long way from Charlotte, North Carolina. And we talk about racing in the Southeast, the Midwest, the West Coast Swing out West. I think a lot of times racing in New England largely gets overlooked, I think because we only do it once a year. Would you agree
8: with that? I would absolutely agree with that. Um, And and I'm sure Kyle would agree that the northeastern corner of the United States is as rabid about auto racing and NASCAR as the deep south or anywhere else you care to, you care to mention, you know, in the, in the very earliest days of NASCAR as a sanctioning body, they actually had more races north of the Mason Dixon line in New England in the Northeast than they did in the Southeast. So yeah, I think, I think sometimes uh, New England race fans get a bit of a, Around.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, we, we first started coming to the New Hampshire Motor Speedway in the mid-90s. Uh, race fans up here supported the event, fought for a second date. They got it. Unfortunately, we're down to just one date per season now up here in the northeast corner of the country. But uh, from what I hear, it's going to be a great weekend up at the Magic Mile this weekend. Fans are going to come out uh, and, and support all the events. You know, the Modifieds are there. The uh the Bush, the Xfinity series is there. It's going to be a great weekend.
4: Now we know it as New Hampshire Motor Speedway, but it used not to be called that years and years ago. Kyle mentioned in the mid '90s how New Hampshire Motor Speedway, actually New Hampshire International Speedway under the Bear regime, was front and center. But it didn't start as that. Dave, bring us up to speed on what it used to be before we now know it as it would be presented to us this weekend.
8: Before uh, before Papa Bear, as he's lovingly referred to in Northeast Racing Circles, got his hands on it, it was a track known as the Briar Motorsports Park. They had an an oval track, a half-mile oval track, and a a very expansive and very competitive road course. Um, The old NASCAR North Tour, which was the forerunner of the forerunner of the forerunner of what's now the K&N East Series, we actually ran some races on that uh, on both tracks actually, the oval and the road course, primarily the road course. And when Bob Bear wanted to expand uh, his Oxford Plains Speedway uh, to a super speedway and try and get NASCAR to come to town, the town fathers and mothers did not want that to happen and they gave him the thumbs down and in typical Bob bare fashion he said well the heck with you then i'll do it somewhere else and he went up the road to loudon new hampshire and he got the job done
4: and of course that is one of the small stories a big story but a small story of racing in new england kyle i know your involvement with Stafford Motor Speedway there. In Connecticut, that is another track in New England that has a rich heritage and a rich tradition as well.
1: Yeah, the Arute family uh, purchased the facility fifty-one years ago and and have really grown that facility to be one of the premier short tracks in the country, home of the SK Modifieds. Recently hosted an SRX event. For years, hosted the NASCAR Wheeling Modified Tour, and what uh, Dave mentioned a moment ago, the old NASCAR. Bush North series, uh, continue to run successfully every Friday night. I, don't, I think a lot of people forget uh, of another track just up the road, the Thompson International Speedway, or now known as the Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park, the first paved asphalt oval in the country in 1940, uh, hosted three what is now the NASCAR Cup Series events back in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, and uh, still running very successfully today. So uh, a couple of great little short tracks here in southern new england to go along with dave's tracks up in in northern new england
4: dave what about the names that have come through that pipeline we know some of them ricky craven immediately jumps to mind slugger Lavies from up there in that part of the woods who do we may not recognize that were some key players back in the 70s 80s 90s that may have been forgotten about in this day and age
8: Pete Hamilton was a big deal for people in the Northeast. Well, you know when he when he won at Daytona driving for King Richard Petty, that was about as big as it got up in our neck of the woods. Because a lot of northern guys, go- or not a lot of northern guys, really ever got a chance down south. And the reason for that was in the early formative days of NASCAR a really good modified or late model guy up in the Northeast could race four or five nights a week and make more money in his modified than he ever could have dreamed of making in a in a Grand National car, as they were known back then, because there were only about seven or eight really good quality Grand National rides back then, and you weren't going to beat Richard Petty and David Pearson on a regular basis. So, you know, guys like Bugsy Stevens, who was a multi-time national modified champion, they had their, their opportunity opportunities to go south and passed on it because they could actually put more money in the till by staying close to home
4: and kyle when we think of stafford when we think of thompson modifieds immediately come to mind what are some of the modified names that over the years have moved the meter up there
1: well, you, you mentioned uh, Jeff Bodine, a multi-time track champion up here, uh, both at Stafford and at Thompson. He made the move down south in the mid-1980s and obviously found much success. So uh, it's a Daytona 500 winner. Uh, Mike Stefanik uh, never made it really to the national level. He ran a full-time season in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series in the mid-2000s, but uh, the only driver to win back-to-back dual championships in NASCAR. Obviously, he's in the NASCAR Hall of Fame for for doing that, winning the NASCAR the wheel and modified tour title and the Bush North title in back-to-back seasons back in the day when those series ran 20, 25 races of the year and saw a full field of 30, 40 race cars. Uh, It hasn't been done since. I don't think it'll ever be done again. The way it's structured right now, Ted Christopher comes to mind, uh, the late great Ted Christopher, uh, the winningest driver at many of the tracks up here in this part of the country, including at the Stafford motor speedway that uh, never quite got that full time ride in the national series. But, uh, legend up here in this part of the country
4: well the new england area has a rich racing tradition and it has produced a lot of racing talent over the years let's hope that we keep that pipeline alive and well keep us going into new england and also keep those drivers that are making their names on their local levels keep them coming out of new england and working their way south into what we know today as the covers of the series that we cover week in and week out and even on the local level as well gentlemen thank you so much appreciate the time and uh, appreciate the insight into racing in New England.
8: Thanks, guys. Good times. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. That's
4: Dave Moody. Kyle Ricky joining us, giving us the lay of the land as far as racing in New England. Coming up, Austin Hill will sit down with our Kim Kuhn, fresh off his win at the Atlanta Motor Speedway. And later, we speak to 2023 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee Kirk Shelmerdeen.
7: This episode is brought to you by AT&T Fiber, and in honor of their straightforward pricing, we're going to have a straightforward moment, just you and me. Be honest. When you're listening to ads like this one right here, you don't just sit there, ears glued and waiting to make a note of interesting offers, do you? Of course not. You're checking out your fantasy stats or catching up on the scores or doing any number of other things you want to do. I get it. I'm not fully paying attention to this ad either. I've got the game playing in a little window on my laptop as I read this. It's called multitasking. And now that we're being straightforward with each other, here's something else that can be totally straightforward. Your internet. No, seriously. Because when you become a gagillionaire with AT&T Fiber, you don't just get super fast internet speeds. You get a bill that's straightforward all the way. Equipment fees, price increase at 12 months, not a thing here. Everything is straightforward the way it should be. And that's it. You can go ahead and check on your fantasy team now. Straightforward is better. No equipment fees, no data caps, no price increase at 12 months. Live like a gigillionaire with AT&T Fiber. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back
4: to NASCAR Live. Austin Hill picked up the win in his home state of Georgia this past weekend when he took the checkered flag in the ALSCO uniforms 250, a part of the NASCAR Xfinity Series campaign. The Winston, Georgia native, one at his home track for the first time, holding off Josh Berry by a mere .111 seconds to pick up his second Xfinity Series win of the season. Austin chatted with our Kim Kuhn to reflect on his personal achievement and where his team stands as the playoff push continues.
9: All right, well, congrats on getting the win in your home state. How special was that? What was the celebration like? I know your friends and family were there.
10: Yeah, so it I you know Sunday morning I was feeling pretty good I guess <laughs> I uh no <nah, clears throat> we, we had a good time never never would have thought that I would get a win at Atlanta just because I had been so close these last three years it seems like and it seemed like everything that could happen kept happening and you know run second three times in a row so the track definitely owed me one. Atlanta University definitely owed me one and we were just able to make it come all together. I, Andy and everybody at RCR has been working really, really hard and our Bennett Church Station Logistics Chevy Camaro was a rocket ship all day. And you know, it just, it worked out. But uh, the party party after the fact was definitely probably the most fun I
9: had. Where does this stack up compared to your other career wins? Because, like, you want at Daytona, which is a big deal, but, like, is this a bigger deal?
10: I, I think they definitely stack up pretty evenly. I, I'd probably have to give the nod to Atlanta just because I grew up racing there. From the time I was nine years old, I was in a Bandolero racing there, running around the quarter-mile racetrack out front. And they used to run a road course, actually, throughout where all the fans and everything, all the campgrounds and all are. And so I have a lot of laps around that place. Been there, um, you know, for for a long time, and won a lot of races in the Bandoliers and Legend Car Series. And then, you know, once I made it to the NASCAR level, it had been a long time since I had seen uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway Victory Lane. So to be able to see that again, and as soon as I pulled the car in there and, and got out and celebrated, it seemed like the floodgates opened. And, you know, just a lot of memories came came to mind of back when I was a little kid, just, you know, trying to make a dream of of making it onto the big track someday. And and being able to race there was was something I was dreaming about doing and never would have thought I was going to win a race on the big track. So that was really cool.
9: It's been said numerous times by various people that you are the perfect fit for RCR. So what's your reaction when you hear people say that? And why do you think that you're a good fit over there at Richard Childress Racing?
10: Yeah, so I went back and watched the Atlanta race on Sunday. And, you know, I was hearing things that Dale Jr. was talking about and things that he was saying and was excited about it, honestly, to hear hear somebody Like like Dell Jr. talking talking about me that way, so yeah, I I don't know exactly what it is that makes me a a really good fit over here. I think the biggest thing is we have a lot of the same values. We we like hunting and fishing, and I get along with Richard Childress very well. Um, You know, I'm I'm going elk hunting with him later in the year, (laughs) so I'm super excited about that. And I, I just feel like ever since I've gotten over here, then really everyone's felt like family to me and that's what I I love even though it's a a really big organization I just feel like they still have that family oriented type atmosphere and feel and that's what I've always loved about when I used to race at at HRE for the last three years in the truck series is I I love that type of feel and transitioning over to RCR it was the same thing so that's I guess that's the biggest thing that I can take away from it that's just kind of made it such an easy fit for me uh, switching over to
11: RCR.
9: It was announced very recently that Tyler Reddick's is going to be leaving RCR and joining 2311 Racing in 2024. So, you know, you made the jump from trucks to Xfinity, and now as an Xfinity Series driver for RCR, do you feel like this opens up an opportunity for you at some point to go Cup racing?
10: Well, I mean, you know, right now, obviously, I'm I'm focused on the Xfinity Series. I'm, I'm focused on getting a win and more wins in the Xfinity Series and and getting a championship hopefully in my rookie season on the Xfinity side. Things come together. Who knows what what could happen down the road, but right now I'm just having a lot of fun on the Xfinity side. I really am. I I love the way these cars drive. I love the way they race. You know, the maneuverability that you have in the Xfinity Series is way better than what I had in the trucks. It seemed like in the trucks you get behind somebody and you get stuck in dirty air and things like that. So I feel like You can actually race a lot better in the Xfinity side. And and I've had a lot of fun doing that. And it's been really fun working with Andy Street, my crew chief, and getting to meet, you know, all these new faces at RCR. So who knows? Time will tell. You know, going forward, there's a lot of really good race car drivers out there that that can be signed to the the eight car. So I'm just having the time of my life right now racing for RCR. And and whatever happens in the future happens.
9: We appreciate the time, Austin. You can definitely tell that you're having fun out there. And we can't wait to watch what you do once we get the playoffs started.
10: Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I feel like RCR is is on a roll right now, so we've got to keep it going.
4: Thank you, Kim. Coming up, 2023 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee Kirk Shelberdeen will join the show, and later we'll preview this weekend's racing action in New Hampshire.
2: This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We continue on this week's NASCAR Live.
4: Kirk Shemardine is one of the all-time great crew chiefs in NASCAR. Throughout his legendary career, he's worked with some of the titans of the sport. in Dale Earnhardt, who he won four Cup Series championships with. He also worked with Ricky Rudd, who he guided to a Cup Series victory as a 25-year-old crew chief. It was announced back in May that that Kirk Shelmerney will be a part of the 2023 NASCAR Hall of Fame class and in light of that, Kirk stopped by MRN's crew call to chat with Steve Post and Todd Gordon about that esteemed honor
3: Well it is good to catch up with you really good to chat with you um, the getting nominated, you've been through the process of being nominated and finally getting inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame what, is, what, is, what has that meant to you?
12: Well, it's uh, you know I knew it would be a process and and take a few years and I thought it might take a couple more years than it has uh, things happened kind of quickly this time and um, it's been sort of a whirlwind since.
4: Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's got to be an emotional piece. I, I as as the uh, as the, the the nomination time came up and we we're talking on radio, I was a pretty big supporter of uh, of you. Looking at your stats, I mean, you look yeah. back through it. You won one in 10 races at your crew chief. You started crew chiefing as a teenager and uh, and, and uh, youngest winner, youngest crew chief winner at the yeah. time at, at 25 years of age.
2: Um, four championships. I mean, uh, yeah, the, you're, numbers, you're the numbers,
4: your rappers are Hall
3: of Fame numbers. The, the numbers, are, there's no doubt
2: to me. I, I felt like should have been first ballot, but um, uh, you know, an amazing career. Talk about how a kid from Philly ends
4: up down at James Hilton's race team.
12: Um, my standard story is the judge said you can uh, go be a racer or do the 30 days. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. A lot of good stories have started with the judge said. So Yeah. I you know, I, I used to tell people that because I'd try to discourage more youngsters from jumping into it because, I mean, I really just got lucky with the situation. Um, uh, a good friend of mine up in Delaware. Uh, Jack Whitby he used to be my neighbor and uh, gave me my first job as just a helper when I was a teenager and things and, and he uh, knew some people with affiliated with NASCAR and he'd been a racer a lot of his life and um, he, he lined me up on getting my first job which was with James Hilton uh, as you guys probably know down in South Carolina and it was sort of like jumping in the deep end and then learning how to swim afterwards um, and i got, got a lot of experience in a hurry on just about all kinds of you know every facet of things Were so working mean- on a truck to building engines and everything in between kirk one of the things that you also really
3: worked hard to develop was the pit crew the flying aces Uh, Your guys, I mean, they even had posters and video shoots and everything else. Um, When did you realize and the process of realizing that and and kind of building that into what is today such a critical part of of, of all motorsports? What was the lead up to that, the process to that, to, to, to focus on the pit
12: crew? I think that it's... It's like free throws in basketball, I suppose. I mean, I don't know anything about basketball. I pretty much hate it, but like you're getting a free shot to at least make up time on the other cars off of the track, maybe pass them just and basically just by not screwing up and wasting time is how it started out. Then, you know, by the time you can weed out mistakes, then you start trying to knock you know a little bit of time off here and there and see what you can do to improve it but yeah mostly it was like this is it doesn't take horsepower it doesn't take Earnhardt to be your driver it doesn't take you know some trick with aerodynamics or whatever it's you guys just don't trip over your feet there's five lug nuts you hit them five times you don't have to hit each one three times before you even get the wrench on it straight you know it it was kind of a slow down and speed up thing really uh, and we started to get to where we could have the same guys every week, too, in the same positions. And, uh, you know, even, even at that point, a lot of the pit crews and a lot of the help, even at the shop, was weekend warrior guys that, that pretty much worked for beer, you know. But a lot, some of those guys had been with Richard for a decade already or more. And they're a pretty experienced bunch, too, uh, more than some of us. Uh, paid mechanics even so you had to combine what they know what you know and what you think you can do with it and, and you know this is something we worked on like building the cars you know a lot of other teams didn't do it they buy their chassis and go from there um, you know it was something we wanted to look at what's, what's the sort of look at it under a microscope a little bit what's the root of everything what's the basis for this and that and what can we change without without making it too much different um, what can we do to make it faster and yeah, a, lot def- it was, a lot of it was having the same guys I mean David Smith was the jack man for ever I mean he was he was the yeah. biggest strongest guy he was the one that could do it he, he was fast on his feet he had big long legs and a, a strong back And back then the jack weighed almost 100 pounds um, it just just David was our center. He was our guy. He was the Jack man, you know, and uh, we, we, we just sort of hammered at that, that stuff out. And then if we needed to be a little quicker in some area, it wasn't, well, we need a new guy. You know, it wasn't, we were us already. This was our guys. So we're going to make things better. We do it. And we all got bigger than we could have been individually. I think for sure, just by being together, you know,
4: You can check out Crew Call every Thursday at noon on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up, we preview this week. Coming up, we'll preview this racing weekend at New Hampshire. And later, it'll be this week in NASCAR history.
2: NASCAR Live is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. The NASCAR world is headed to the Granite
4: State once again as we race at New Hampshire Motor Speedway this weekend. Only seven races remain in the NASCAR Cup Series regular season as the countdown to the playoffs continues. Who will solidify their spot this weekend? Our Jason Toy is here to guide us through what some of the drivers are thinking ahead of the Ambetter 301.
13: After a wild race in the dirty south, the NASCAR Cup Series heads over 1,000 miles northeast to Loudoun, New Hampshire for their annual trip to the New Hampshire Motor Speedway. The area of the country isn't the only difference the drivers will see this weekend. They go from the super speedway-style racing at the new Atlanta Motor Speedway to the flat one-mile speedway in Loudoun. And speedway racing coming from the back isn't as daunting as it is at other tracks. Atlanta winner Chase Elliott says an emphasis will be on track position this weekend as passing could be a challenge.
11: I don't think it'll be as much at Loudon personally you know I I think Loudon will be more like you know races up there in the past I mean really I think it's going to be very difficult to pass it always is you know when you go up there it it was you know one of the most difficult places to pass I felt like in the past so now I think it's going to be uh, even more so, which I think will be, uh, you know, very track position oriented and and pit stops and and restarts. You know, even even more so, and, and probably as time goes on, we'll just continue to get more and more in that direction.
13: Passing has been tougher on tracks where drivers have been shifting in the next gen car this year. And while Chris Buster says drivers will definitely be shifting this weekend, the character of New Hampshire could result in racier action.
11: It's definitely been interesting to see. Some of the race tracks have been hard to pass, and uh, and some of the ones that have been less so, and um, and trying to figure out why exactly that is. Uh, New Hampshire will definitely be shifting there, um, but it's a lot rougher than, uh, than than some of these other race tracks, and uh, it's just a lot more just got a lot more character, right? We've got different lanes that have been paved at different times. There's different grip levels. There's different banking levels. Uh, you know, the bumps in the three are, are really rough. Uh, we'll continue to be so with, with this race car. Uh, we have really good brakes in these cars. Uh, so I think that uh, opens up the opportunity to get in the corner better. Um, with the downshifting, it was something that we almost felt like we could get away with with the last car. So we'll definitely be, be there with this one. So yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of things that that make me believe that will be a racier track than, uh, than, than some of the others.
13: Hendrick Motorsports driver William Byron says that a lot of the raciness will depend on the track widening out and that drivers will have to see what the track does in terms of applying PJ1 or resin throughout the weekend.
11: Well, I think um, it all depends on what what the track looks like, uh, what they do with the PJ1 and how they they set it up. Uh, Luckily, going to be able to run Xfinity that weekend, which I'm excited about. You know, have run one Xfinity race so far this year and uh finished second it was a lot of fun at texas in those cars so excited to see how the track kind of plays out there in the cup car i think you know this car requires different lanes but it's really good if there's multiple lanes so i think it should be a good race i mean you're able to kind of get air on the nose at new hampshire and a lot of a lot of instances so it could be a good race. AJ Allmendinger will be back
13: behind the wheel of the Colic Racing number 16 car and doing double duty in the Xfinity Series and Cup Series in Loudon and he agrees with Byron's sediments that the resin will have a big impact on the weekend. You kind of know the idea of what the racetrack is I, I would say the resin
3: that they put down there at times does change it a bit so it, it, it gets a, a little bit more of a, a Difficulty of trying to figure out what the racetrack is going to do just because the resin—the resin the is actually a lot more consistent than the PJ1 is, um, so it's a little easier. But you know, you, it still throws that curveball into the racetrack. What, what's it like to other racetracks? Sometimes I—I think it's you know you can look at a place like Martinsville, like okay, if the car was turning good there and, and had good grip, you can apply it a bit. But it, it is unique. It's actually probably a little bit like St. Louis too, even though it's the straightaways are a little bit longer at St. Louis, Um, but it's its own
13: racetrack. Brad Keselowski won at New Hampshire before, but he views this weekend as a big wild card weekend as the veteran just doesn't know what to expect in Loudoun in the next gen car. Yeah, it's a good track for me. Uh, you know, I really like going to New Hampshire.
3: It's, uh, got some unique challenges to how you drive the racetrack and, and kind of the inputs uh, that, that have served me well. Uh, so I like the challenge. Uh, I've had some really good cars there over the years. Uh, I'm not sure what we'll have going there. I, I know I wish we had practice. One of those tracks that would be a lot of fun to have a practice at. But, um, you know, it's a big wild card without any testing or any practice there. I, I don't think... There's been a single car, on next-gen car on that track. Um, so big questions on what to expect that, you know, unfortunately being in a spot where I can't give you,
2: you know, a lot of clarity to, to what I expect.
13: Both Keselowski and Busher will have some extra pressure this weekend as Busher illustrates because of the ties of the team to nearby
11: Boston. I think that, wow, it is a really neat race race. It's not been one of my best by the numbers, uh, but I always enjoy going there because it does have a lot of, uh, a lot of character. It, it just lets you do... Uh, different things from behind the wheel try different uh, different lines feel to make passes in different areas um whether it's the apron or, or three lanes up uh from from there so i think it'll be uh, it'll be a fun racetrack uh obviously uh, a little bit of a, a home track for organization with uh, with the fenway group being close by in, in boston so uh we got to go up there and, uh, and put on a good show and, and be good for them
13: busher and keselowski are both hoping to unload with fast forward mustangs this weekend in the granite state as A.J. Allmendinger says, this track is a joy to drive when you have that speed, but if your car is off, you could be in for a very long New Hampshire afternoon. Loudon, I will always say is when
3: when your car's right, I've always enjoyed that racetrack. When it's wrong, it is one of the hardest, most difficult racetracks because you can't do anything about it and you seem like you're always in the way. So uh, I've been on both ends of the spectrum there, so hopefully we're on the, uh, the good
13: end when we show up to Loudon. Could this weekend present another surprise like it did when Eric Almirola dominated last year to lock himself into the playoffs? Or will a driver who is already locked in add to their ever-important playoff point total? We'll find out on Sunday when the winner of the Ambetter 301 is holding that giant lobster in victory lane.
4: Thank you, Jason. Coming up, Susie Armstrong's back with This Week in NASCAR History.
2: This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live.
4: It's our favorite time of the week. We get to say hello to Susie Armstrong and hello to another installment of This Week in NASCAR History.
1: Party, people!
5: Well, thank you, sir. 1993, hip-hop duo Tag Team were definitely it on the Billboard Hot 100 with the mega-hit, "Whoop." There It Is. The summer box office was sizzling with blockbuster hits Jurassic Park and Sleepless in Seattle, and Rusty Wallace was hot in the Granite State, driving the Team Penske Pontiac to victory in the slick 5300 at New Hampshire Motor Speedway.
10: The go
7: for Rusty Wallace. He will not encounter any lap traffic as Wallace now rolls out of the throttle and onto the brakes at the entrance of turn number three, gets back on the throttle halfway through the corner, and he's on his way off of turn
3: number four. Rusty Wallace out of turn number four, about to put his name in the history books as winning the first Winston Cup race ever here at the New Hampshire International Speedway. He takes the checkered flag.
1: But I understand why.
5: 2004, cool. Usher dominated the dog days of summer with Top Tunes Burn and Confessions Part 2 writing in the Billboard Top 5. Martha Stewart receives a five month prison sentence plus five months house arrest for lying to federal investigators. And Tony Stewart had the juice to lead 160 laps and score the victory in the Tropicana 400 presented by Meyer at Chicagoland Speedway.
7: Think that you should let it burn.
3: Dude. Tony Stewart onto the backstretch for the final time this afternoon. Right up next to the outside wall. Sets up for the entrance into corner number three. Pins the car down low and heads for the checkers. Should be a very interesting victory lane today for Tony Stewart, who picks up his first win since last October at the Lowe's Motor Speedway in Charlotte. He will win today the Tropicana 400 at Chicagoland Speedway.
5: 2009, there was no end in sight for hip-hop quartet The Black Eyed Peas, topping the Billboard Hot 100 with "I Got a Feeling." The epic Hogwarts saga was still movie magic as Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince debuted worldwide, and Mark Martin was wicked fast just outside the Windy City, winning the LifeLock.com 400 at Chicagoland.
1: that's over let's kick
7: it Oh, and of mark martin kind tonight. he
1: leads for the final time down the back straight away in the car quest kellogg's chevrolet by four car lengths
8: the race continues for second gordon takes the spot back from casey kane but it's martin off turn four for the final time side by side behind him and that is a beautiful sight for mark martin down to the line he comes checkered flag is out mark martin wins the lifelock.com
5: 400 at
8: chicagoland
5: and those are just some of the events from this week in NASCAR history.
4: Thank you, Susie. Also, we'd like to thank Corey LaJoy for joining us. And our thanks to Austin Hill for stopping by. For the rest of the MRN crew, I'm Mike Bagley. We thank you for tuning in. And we'll catch you right here again next week on NASCAR Live. Until then, so long, everybody.
2: NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and was brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of NASCAR. It works fast and you won't stink. And by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was produced by Alexa Wesselman, Julian Council, and Trey Downing. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.
13: Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes.